I V M. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and this is a really special episode. We've covered passive products in the past, lots of times, ETFs, index funds. But today's guest, EMQQ Global, has launched a first of its kind index in INQQ, the India Internet and E-Commerce Index. I'm talking with Kevin Carter, CIO at EMQQ Global, on the India opportunity and much more. EMQQ folks, right after this short break. And welcome back, Kevin. Welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, if you ever wondered what Paisa Paisa means, it's a Hindi version of you know just for kicks money. It's named after a very obscure '90s song in Hindi. If okay. you ever wondered, yes, I mean you know the title of this podcast is in Hindi. Okay, tell us about EMQQ Global and of course about the very famous Burton Malkiel, who I believe is on your board, author of folks. If you don't know, Burton is the author of the of a random walk down Wall Street, very famous book. If you've not read it. Please do. He's on a boat. So tell us about your firm and everything. Sure. So EMQQ Global is a San Francisco-based investment management firm. We're focused on the emerging markets internet space. So uh, all emerging markets, all frontier markets. There's 46 countries in that universe. China being the biggest of those. And um, we invest only in the internet and e-commerce companies. And the reason we do that is because when I first got involved with emerging markets and China in particular 17 years ago, you realize pretty quick that the thing that's emerging. Are the people, and there's billions of people in emerging markets, and their economies are growing faster, their incomes are rising, and they want stuff. They want more and better food, more and better clothing. They want appliances. They want to take a vacation, go to a movie, buy a vehicle, and they want their kids to go to college. And that's been a very well documented story. I didn't have to figure that out myself when I got pulled into China 17 years ago. It was already well documented, and so that's what I've been focused on as an investor for 17 years. But about eight and a half. Half years ago, halfway through my emerging market life, I realized that the way people consume was changing, and that basically the smartphone was bringing the computer to the world for the first time, and the internet for the first time. And that while in the United States and other developed markets we have a very robust consumption infrastructure, everybody has a bank account and a credit card, everybody has a cable television, there's plenty of big box retail stores, but those things really don't exist in the developing world. By definition, so emerging markets don't have that consumption infrastructure, and they're leapfrogging what we think of as traditional consumption, and they're doing everything on their smartphone even more than we are in the developed world. Yeah, tell us about your firm, about Burton. I mean, how's your board constituted? How old is your firm, and you know the background on that? Sure. Well, our firm is uh, about eight and a half years old. Uh, but to back up, let me tell you how I uh, started in the in the investment business and how I ended up working with Burton. So when I graduated uh, from college. Uh, Uh, at the end of 1991, I showed up in San Francisco where I grew up, and I had one interview uh, with a firm that was called Robertson Stevens and Company, which was the leading technology investment bank. And I had a short interview. We talked about college sports, and then the person that was interviewing me said, "You can start Monday." And I said, "Well, that's great, but how can I start Monday? I don't know anything about investing." And the person said, "Well, go buy this book." And he wrote down a random walk down Wall Street. So mm. I started by reading that book. As you know, it's all about indexing. It was written. Before there were index funds originally in 1972, it just had its 50th anniversary edition published last year. Wow! 
And so I read about indexing, but very quickly I realized that when it comes to investing, I'm an Omaha person. I'm a Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett person first and foremost. But in 1999, uh, I was a very idealistic young investment professional, and I decided to start a company that I thought would solve problems for most investors, which was to allow people to buy stocks in dollar amounts instead of share amounts. So you could buy $5 worth of Coca-Cola as opposed to 100 shares, which might cost $3,000. And uh, so I filed a patent on a process to trade stocks in dollar amounts, and I was trying to raise money for the business, and I had met Bert Malkiel the year before, and so I called him and asked him if he might be on my advisory board, and he said it sounded like a great idea, but he wanted to meet me first, so I flew out to Princeton, and we had a three-hour lunch, and we've been business partners ever since, so for about 25 years now. And uh, we sold that company to E-Trade in the year 2000, and then uh, after that, we had another idea, which uh, we called Active Index Advisors. The idea was that rather than buy a mutual fund that tracks an index, we would let you buy the individual stocks to track the S&P 500, or any index, but the S&P 500 is the main index in the United States. And by doing that, in a separate account, we actually own the stocks. First of all, there were a lot of tax benefits, but secondly, you could customize. So you could leave out tobacco stocks if you wanted, or whatever it was. And we sold uh, that company to a large French firm called Natixis at the very end of 2004. But just before we sold the company, Google went public. And they asked my partner, Burton, to give a talk to their employees about investing. They were about to have a lot of money. Mm. And they thought, well, we should invite Burton Malkiel in to talk to the employees because we know he's the champion of the investor. And I wasn't invited to that talk. But a few months later, my phone rang and it was a guy from Google. And he said, hey, I heard about this active indexing. How do I invest with you? And I said, well, we don't work with individuals. We work uh, through advisors at Credit Suisse, at Deutsche Bank at Morgan Stanley. And he said, well, I don't want to invest with those people. I want to just invest directly with you. And he talked me into basically becoming his financial advisor. So all of a sudden, in 2005, I start going to Mountain View uh, from San Francisco once a week to meet some new Google uh, person. But while I'm doing that, Burton starts going to China. Mm. So he's a Princeton economist, as you know, and a couple of his Princeton colleagues were Chinese, and they had gone back to teach economics in Beijing around the year 2000. And they said, Bert, you have to come see this. Our economy's booming. And so he started going to China. They ended up writing a white paper. The Google people heard about it and called me and said, hey, can Burton come talk about China? And I said, sure. And 17 years ago, we drove from San Francisco to Mountain View. Burton talked about China. And then all these people looked at me and said, we want to invest in China. Okay. And I said, well, I don't even know what that means. And so from that But from that moment until today, my whole life has been trying to figure out what does that mean and how should you invest in China and all emerging markets. And so that's how we got started uh, on emerging markets. And and as mentioned, it, you know, it's all about the consumer. I mean, the people are emerging and they want stuff. They want yeah. they want to consume. And so that's what I told people to do for a long time was just buy the consumer stocks because the real the, the problem in emerging markets, the biggest problem is the index is terrible. There's a lot of growth in emerging markets, as you know, but the index, uh, the traditional indexes, they don't really capture that. Mm-hmm. They give you exposure to the government owned banks, the government oil companies, the legacy economy. Mm-hmm. And so people have been disappointed 
disappointed with emerging markets for 15 years because the return's been basically zero. And so what I realized was you have to get more targeted if you want to capture the growth. The consumer was the story, but now the consumer is getting a computer for the first time in form of a smartphone and the internet, and they're leapfrogging what we think of as traditional consumption. Yeah, well, I was, you know, you've answered my question about emerging markets because emerging markets have been there for the longest time, right? I mean, we had, you had the entire crisis in 98, which was more of LATAM, and they were also emerging at that point of time. Then, of course, you had, you know, the 2000 meltdown in tech stocks. So, I want to talk about India now, Kevin. From a global investment opportunity, what do you find compelling? And you're in Bombay, you're going to be going to Bangalore, and then you'll, you'll be going to Delhi. And it's the first time that you're here. When you're here on the ground, what can you see that, I don't know if that confirms your theory, and if it doesn't, what do you find compelling? Well, it confirms my theory a lot, I would say, for what I've seen so far. Uh, in fact, you know, just out in front of the building here, you can see the infrastructure going in. So when I first started going to China 17 years ago, that's the one thing that was very impressive was the building, the construction, the highways, the railroads, and that type of infrastructure that really helps accelerate an economy. So that's clearly happening here. The growth rates of the GDP here show that. And really what's happening, you know, with the emerging markets and the internet and the computer, this has already happened in China. So the China, you know, if you think about the way humans on the planet, you you know, first got computers, first got the internet, and were able to go onto the internet and do some sort of commerce, buy a book, sell it on eBay after you read it. That basically started in the year 2000 in the United States and developed markets. The China wave, the second wave, if you will, started around the year uh, 2005 with Alibaba and Tencent leading that. And that S-curve was steepest in that 2005 to 2020 uh, period. And now you have a third wave coming. And the th China had 1.3 billion people. The third wave, the rest of emerging markets, including India as the biggest part, they have about five and a half billion people. And so this third wave uh, is coming and it's going to happen. There's going to be a huge amount of growth in the next decade and, and two decades. And India is the biggest part of that. And there are so many things about India right now that look uh, incredibly compelling. You have the largest population in the world now. Uh, you have a very young population. China has an older demographic. China, uh, India has 800 million uh, young people. Uh, South Asia as well is involved. Uh, you've got the fastest growing economy. You've got a swelling middle class, the fastest growing e-commerce market. And importantly, you have a government that's all in on digitization and has introduced things like UPI to really accelerate this. So the India story is incredibly compelling, and I am incredibly confident there will be a lot of growth in the next decade in the internet and e-commerce companies. Sure. So, you know, you're going to be spending some time out here. You know, you've been here for a while. What's the mood that you're sensing from people that you meet? You know, because out here on our podcast, for example, we've got a lot of guests who come in and, you know, there seems to be a bit of a dichotomy that the mood on the economy, like you said, fastest growing is quite good. Stock markets is a different thing, which is where the dichotomy is there. It's a little bit, there are other issues out there. But, um, you know, from the people that you meet, is there any sentiment that you can see, you can sense on the ground? You can't help but feel it. There's energy, there's optimism, there's excitement. Everybody has a smartphone, seemingly not everyone yet. We know mm. that statistically, but it has an incredible buzz. And you know, you just walk out of the street and you can feel it. And again, it reminds me of China, you know, when I started going there 17 years ago. And uh, I'm very excited for India and the 
the growth that's going to come here. And a holding for index funds. How about that? Huh? You saw that for the first time. Well, and that's right. And, and <laughs> in you know, as you drive around Bombay, I've seen probably a hundred different um, billboards advertising index funds, which is very exciting for me because I've worked in and around index funds for you know twenty something years. And uh, as you know, Burton was you know one of the sort of inventors of the index fund. And I've never seen a billboard in my whole life for an index fund until I got to Bombay. And so yesterday on the way to our CFA dinner, I uh, I sent Burton a, a picture. I said, Burton, you'd be happy to know <laughs> that index funds have reached India in a big way and you'll see them uh, on billboards everywhere you go. Yeah. So DSP Mutual Fund, Kalpe and Arun, if you guys are listening into this episode, he's talking about your ads. They've been on a podcast before. Okay, sure. Very happy to have them. So folks, we're going to take a small break out here. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the products that Kevin and EMQQ Global has and how you can invest in them and all on that right after this break. And welcome back. Okay, Kevin, let's talk about all your products, right? I mean, you've got indices and how do you construct these indices? We were talking about how emerging markets indices are in, don't represent the underlying companies really well. Um, so let's talk about your indices, the ETFs. And folks, if you really want some really good research, EMQQ has got a whole lot of stuff on the website. I think most of it is free to download for users. Sure. Please do check that out. So let's talk about that in indices in the ETF. Sure. So our flagship product is EMQQ and it tracks all all emerging and frontier markets internet companies. There's 125 companies in that uh, index and the funds that track it today. We launched it on the New York Stock Exchange uh, in 2014. China's the biggest part of that fund. It's about 60%. We have a second fund, which we launched about a, a year and a half ago, which is called FMQQ for frontier market, uh, if you will, which is what we consider when it comes to the internet, everything other than China in emerging markets. Uh, India is the biggest part of that. And then finally, uh, earlier this year, or rather uh, early last year, we launched INQQ, which is the India Internet and E-Commerce Index and ETF that tracks it. So it, uh, the way we do it is pretty simple. We buy and hold every publicly traded internet company that's you know, part of whatever country grouping that is. So again, EMQQ, China and all emerging and frontier markets. Yep. FMQQ is the same without China and INQQ is just India. And it's a buy and hold approach. Uh, we rebalance it twice a year and June and December. And, you know, it's a, the INQQ product. We couldn't have made it two years ago. I mean, you know, two and a half, three years ago, there were only two publicly traded Indian internet companies, but there was a huge amount of IPO activity. And now there's 22 publicly traded Indian internet companies. So we were we were waiting to launch INQQ until there was enough companies. And we achieved that in the first quarter last year. Okay. I want to understand how the indices are constructed in terms of, you know, is, is it free float or how representative is is of the companies that you want to be tracking for all three. I mean, I, China, I've always heard that there's, you know, I guess they're liquid enough, but if you can just help us through how the indices are constructed. Sure. Well, it's pretty straightforward. We use a, um, a rules-based methodology. And so the first thing is you need to be an, an emerging markets internet company. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I realized uh, about emerging markets is the database is a real challenge because every country gets put into, bo every, every company gets put into several boxes. The first 
box is what country are you? And a lot of these companies, they uh, they may be domiciled in Singapore, for example, even though they serve Southeast Asia. They might be, in the case of the uh, Latin American leader, Mercado Libre, operates in Brazil, in Mexico. Its headquarters are in Uruguay. Whoa, so okay. if you look on a fact sheet or the database, you'll say, well, this is a company in Uruguay. Well, that's not actually reflecting the economic reality of the company. So the right. first thing is to make sure that we find all of the companies that really are internet companies in these different geographies. And then once we've found them all and made sure that we've got a very pure basket of companies, we use a very straightforward approach. It's market cap weighted with an 8% limit on the largest holdings, so that that helps us maintain diversification. Um, we have a, a market cap and a liquidity screen. And as long as the companies are emerging market internet companies, as long as they meet our minimums, we'll own them. It's again, market cap weighted with an 8% cap on the largest. And then we rebalance the the index and the funds that track it twice a year in June and December. Yeah. Could you give us a rough idea of which are the largest companies in all three indices? You know, uh, for the EMQQ, you said China has 60% weightage in that. So what are we talking about? Uh, Frontier and of course, India. Sure. So in uh, the China, uh, the EMQQ, the broad emerging market offering, Alibaba and Tencent have historically been the largest parts of that. So most people know these two Chinese super apps, but there's a lot of other very large Chinese internet companies, Meituan, Baidu, Pinduadua, uh, JD.com. So those are the some of the biggest in that fund. But there's also in that fund and in the FMQQ fund, you have Mercado Libre, which I mentioned earlier, yeah, which is, yeah. that was the first non-China internet company that I discovered. So about 15 years ago, when they went public, somebody forwarded me the prospectus. And I was already very deep in the Chinese internet companies, but I saw the prospectus for Mercado Libre and I flipped through to see the income statement, which is where I always start. And I said, oh my goodness, it looks like a Chinese internet company. It was growing at 100% and had fabulous margins. So Mercado Libre, uh, a notable company in, in FMQQ. Other companies in uh, FMQQ, um, C Limited, which operates all over Southeast Asia, go to and grab other uh, Southeast Asian uh, super apps, if sure, you will. Sure. But there's even holdings in uh, Kazakhstan. We have a publicly traded super app called Kospi, which trades in London, which is actually one of our most profitable companies. And then, of course, in India, uh, we own Reliance to get exposure to the geo platforms, which we're very excited about, especially after spending some time with them this week. Um, we own Paytm, and we own, uh, again, about 22 total uh, Indian internet companies so far, and we're excited that there will probably be dozens of more IPOs in the coming years once the IPO markets start back up. Nice. And what market cap am I talking about for the entire index for all the three of them? I would say right now it's probably over a trillion dollars, maybe all, maybe a trillion and a half. All three of them. Total. Wow. I mean, not in terms of assets for us, but no, in no. terms of the market cap. Market cap of all the, the market yeah, cap yeah. of all the companies, yes. Nice. And these are obviously only listed companies. Only publicly traded. Yeah, and you'll, we, get, you'll get exposure once the unlisted ones make it through. That, that's right. That's right. We So uh, we follow um, the private ones a lot, and we like to know who the biggest unicorns are, which companies are coming. Obviously, Geo and its platforms aren't publicly traded yet, but Reliance is. But uh, before we came here, we were in Bangladesh and visited uh, one of their largest e-commerce companies. It's not public yet. It's called ShopUp. And uh, it's fun to see what's happening uh, in the ecosystems. And that's one thing that, you know, part of our trip here and what we've done elsewhere in Latin America last year is to go see the ecosystem, see the entrepreneurs, meet the venture capitalists. And uh, we started in Latin America last year. And even though I've been, you know, doing this and focused on this for eight and a half years, I was a little, not even a little, 
I was a lot surprised at how robust the ecosystems are. And there's a Silicon Valley everywhere. And the story is the same. The smartest kid from every country, and I'm making this black and white. Yeah, I mean, you okay. have great yeah, yeah, schools yeah. here and the, yeah. and the uh, technology institutes are obviously world class. But the smartest kid from every country goes to Harvard or Stanford or IIT. They go to work for Google or Microsoft or Apple. They go back and get their MBAs at, at IIT or Harvard or Stanford, and then they decide they want to be an entrepreneur. They're getting funded uh, historically by international venture investors. Berkshire Hathaway, my heroes, yeah. have invested in several of these companies, including Paytm. And they're finding great success. And not every one of them works, but what's happening is this virtuous cycle. Every time one of those companies works and you have the growth, you have the value creation, you have an IPO or an acquisition, every time that happens, it's creating 10, 20, or 100 new startups. And there's a multiple supplier effect that's happening. And there's a lot of headwinds in the world today, but that can't be stopped. The, yeah. the genie is out of the bottle. And from Bangladesh to, to Bogota, Colombia, there are entrepreneurs and many of them are building very big uh, businesses. And that's going to go on for a long time. Yeah. What about the downsides? You know, we're talking at a time when you've got a blow up out there in the US, the Silicon Valley Bank. Do you see any dangers out here with excesses or anything else? Well, I think one thing that we can see right now is over the last two years, I mean, we've had a, a horrible uh, performance. I mean, we were down from our top to our bottom, you know, about 80%. And uh, we've had lots, you know, investing is volatile, <laughs> uh, especially in these in these places. And, you know, I always stress to people, you have to be long-term. Nobody can time the stock market. I've never met anybody that can time the stock market. I don't know anybody that's met anybody. And so what you really have to do is buy and hold and take advantage of that miracle of compounding because that's so important in investing. The miracle of compounding is so important. And so in terms of risk, we've had, we've just gone through a pretty big contraction and then you had multiple compression. Yep. Uh, the, all the valuations have gone down. Part of that was because the risk-free rate, interest rates went up, inflation went up, we have a war. But long-term uh, investors will, I think, do very well if they buy and hold these companies. And you look, if you're a long-term investor, as you should be, you want prices to go down. If, if anything else you're buying, you would be happy if your restaurant said, hey, our prices are lower. You'd be mm -hmm. like, great. And young people are consumers of stocks and they should be saving and investing and saving and investing. And and so there are a lot of risks in the world, war, governments, inflation, currencies, but we've had a pretty good helping sure, of sure. the downside of risk. And I think that certainly, you know, the, the Indian internet companies are, are no different. There's been a very big contraction in the valuations, but I think it's healthy long-term and I'm sure the growth will continue, and I think valuations seem quite reasonable right now. Okay. You've got an ETF, I think that's listed where? In the NYSE? We have our all three of our, our ETFs are listed on the NYSE. They also trade in Europe. Okay. Kevin, for our listeners out there who are listening in to this, can they buy your ETFs? I mean, sure. They trade, on the, they trade on the New York Stock Exchange, and I know that investors here do have access to foreign listings, so they they trade on the New York Stock Exchange, and uh, you can buy them any day. So just head over to whichever app that you 
amazing because we've had a few apps out here of companies that are you know that offer international investing which at one point of time was not possible but now they do so is there a ticker we have three tickers emqq oh, okay. which is emerging markets qq there you go <laughs> emqq the that's yeah. you know as you likely know the the nasdaq index the qqqs are very popular in the united states and so our, our idea was to you know include that as part of our ticker symbol emerging markets internet and technology so emqq is the flagship fmqq is the the ex china version Frontier of, of market, yeah. emqq and then inqq the india internet uh, and e-commerce etf is the third offering okay any expenses that our listeners should be you know mindful of because obviously when you're trading on the platform there'll be the brokerage which the app charges or the broker charges but is there anything also on the expense side that you can help us with out here the etfs uh, the funds have an 86 basis points expense ratio which is higher than the the broad based emerging markets etfs but you know vanguard iShares, these are giant companies sure, sure. we do one thing we're focused exclusively on the emerging markets internet space and uh, we think that you know what we do is is worth what we charge and the other advantage of the etf is that etfs just in general have a lot higher fees than traditional mutual funds and it's not just the headline fee of the expense ratio there are so many other costs and hidden fees and hidden costs in traditional mutual funds which is the reason etfs have really been taking over the world starting in the united states but yeah. but good to see it's also happening here yeah last question you know you're going to be spending more time out here what's your outlook for india in general and in the huge e-commerce space are there any specific sectors that you like or you're tracking or you're saying that this looks more exciting than the other because like you said we've also had a meltdown out here a lot of the we call them new age stocks out here the startups who um listed in the last year i would say they're down anywhere from you know 60% 50 60 70% this i don't know if they seem to have stabilized now i don't know what's going to happen in the future but what's your read well i have a huge amount of confidence in india over the next 20 years and uh, for the reasons mentioned previously. Yep. I mean it's it's the setup if you will. It looks a lot like China did 17 years ago. The infrastructure, the the rise of the consumer, and you can feel it. I mean this, you know, it's those you walk around and you can it's palpable. Um so I uh, am very bullish and, and I think the future is going to be very digital. And again, you you can't go very far without seeing uh Paytm, PhonePay, whatever it is. It's it's there. It's and it's getting used. And so in terms of, you know, subsectors within the story, the fintech part is the leading part of this. You can't have e-commerce without mobile payments as the starting point. And once the company gets your wallet on the phone, if you will, money on the phone, then you're able to as a business sell investment products, uh, insurance products, banking and lending. And so Paytm for example, I think that Paytm has a very bright future. And then once you get the money on the phone, uh it's e-commerce, it's it's ride hailing, it's food delivery, travel apps. It's the same things we've seen happen in the United States for the last 20 years. It's just the localized version. Yeah. Okay. Final question that I have for all my guests standard, you know, wrap up on the episode any recommendations in terms of books or movies or anything that you've been seeing that you'd like to share with our listeners. Well, A Random Walk Down Wall Street <laughs> is the one. book that I read to yeah. start my career. Uh it's sold at least a couple million copies. It's required reading at at most business schools and it just was published uh its 50th anniversary edition was just published in December. So, uh I think that's the best place to start. Um beyond that, I'm a Warren Buffett person, so uh Warren Buffett hasn't written a book but you can certainly find annual reports you can find lots of books 
uh, that talk about uh, Warren Buffett and how he invests. And again, one of the things I like about what we do is, you know, Berkshire Hathaway is an investor in many of our companies, including PayTM. Yeah, pay so I think, uh, you know, when I think about investing, I think there's two right ways to do it. And I don't. And there's a whole lot of ways I don't think you should do it. But I think there's two right ways, and they're they're really on on the far ends of the spectrum. You have indexing, which is mathematically impossible to refute the yeah. benefits of uh, an indexing type of an approach. And then you have the Omaha approach, which is to which is to buy and hold great businesses at good prices. And I think part of the irony in this is that Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett, which are at the far end on one side of that, you know, Warren Buffett's one of the biggest proponents of indexing. And in fact, it was the 19 1995 Berkshire Hathaway annual report where Warren Buffett said most investors, both individual and institutional, should buy index funds. And I said, whoa. Hmm. And as I dug in, I said, you know what? He's right. It's just that it's simple mathematics. Yeah. Have you met him by any chance? Because his, and we are in March. So I guess is the annual meet over or is it happening? I, uh, I, I don't know. I okay. have never gone to the annual meeting. I'm not a person that would do something like that. <laughs> but I've been to Omaha and I went to the steakhouse he likes. So nice. So two recommendations there, folks. Of course, a random walk down Wall Street by Burton Malkiel. And of course, anything that Warren Buffet recommends is good. And that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Vesa. My guest, Kevin Carter, CIO at EMQQ Global. Kevin, thank you, really. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. And listeners, if you like this podcast, please do become a Club Pesa Vesa subscriber. You get full archive access, early access to episodes, ad-free experience and bonus content. My takes on each episode will be $6.99 a year intro offer. And you can check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM Network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm your host, Anubam Gupta, B50 on Twitter. And thank you so much, folks, for listening to Pesa Vesa. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.